Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Like Brother Kagan told you, I met him just just recently, went out to breakfast. Uh, got a, I met uh, B.J. Van Amen at a fellowship in uh, December, I believe it was, and uh, he reached out to me and asked if I wanted to get breakfast with him and another pastor, and I thought, well, I hope the other pastor's more interesting than you are, and uh, he said, yeah, he definitely is, so uh, we went, and uh, we went to Panera, and, <clears throat> and I got to meet uh, Brother Keg, and I found him delightful. I mean, he's, you, could, you can just feel uh, his heart when he talks, and uh, he's just, uh, just a delightful spirit, and uh, I didn't realize how bad his judgment was until he asked me to preach, and uh, so just, uh, just bear with Bear with them on that point, but uh, it's my desire to be a blessing to you today. I've only pastored for about four and a half years. I see, uh, I see a lot of gray heads, and I see a lot of experience, and a lot of, uh, a lot of what I lack, I see in you. And I'm certainly not up here because I'm qualified, but thank God, He uses unqualified men. The title of the message is despair in the dark. In light of Psalm 77, well, let's pray before I get in. Uh, Lord, please help me this morning as I try to preach to your people from your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would give me clarity of mind and help me to say what I ought to say. We sure do love you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In light of Psalm 77, Charles Spurgeon said it like this. Asaph was a man of exercised mind and often touched the minor key. He was thoughtful, contemplative believing, but withal there was a dash of sadness about him, and this imparted a tonic flavor to his songs. To follow him with understanding, it's needful to have done business on the great waters and weathered many an Atlantic gale. Spurgeon described Asaph as a man who'd sailed many seas and weathered many storms. You don't need to know much about a man's ministry to know that if he's been at it very long, he's weathered a few storms. Some of us in this room have probably just made it through a storm. Some of us are probably currently in a storm. And may I say this, if you're not in a storm, there's one coming. As we read our text, Asaph was in a storm, no doubt about it. And the morning's message is simple. We see two phases in Asaph's storm. Maybe these are familiar territory. Just two points this morning. First one, we see the spiral of despair. In verse 1, he says, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. Isn't that what we tell people to do? When you're in a storm, you better cry to God, right? Isn't that the right answer? That's what we tell people. Asaph says, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. That sounds right. That sounds what, like what you want, isn't it? Well, I cried to God and he heard me. That's, 
That's what I'm after. That's positive, isn't it? Isn't this the counsel that we dispense? When you're in a storm, you cry out to God and he'll hear you. So many times I've cried out to God and God hurt me. And that's the problem. I didn't want God to hear me. I wanted an answer. I wanted God to say, yeah, I'll do what you're asking me to do in your timing. And all he did was hear me. What's that about? In fact, this has been the cause of much of my frustration. You know, my frustration in ministry or in life or in marriage or in child rearing or just about everything. My frustration comes when I prescribe to God a timeline that he did not, that he did not write. And I tell God, this is, and we, we say all these bold things. We're pastors and we have answers. And most of them aren't correct. And we say things like, you know, listen, you just go to God and you lay it out there and you tell God, we're going to do this and we're going to see this happen in two weeks. Careful. Careful. You might be Daniel. It might be 21 days. It might be seven years. You might be Paul and three times you besought the Lord and the Lord finally said, Paul, stop it. It's not going away. I heard you. This is just not the answer. Asaph prayed and God heard him. I've been there and, and God heard me, but he didn't answer me like I wanted. And, and I began to spiral. And in verse 2, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. Well, why is the memory of God or the thought of God or the reminder that I've been praying, why is that troubling to me? Well, because we have some unfinished business, don't we? Because I, I said something to him and he didn't respond. And now when I remember God, I start to get angry. I start to say, well, I don't understand why he's not answering me. I cried out to God, even unto God, and he heard me. I know he heard me. And my spirit was overwhelmed. See, now I have a real problem. I ran into the storm, and it's cool because I have a song for that, right? And I prayed, and he heard me. But in the song, he answers and delivers me out of all my troubles, right? That's, that's neat, and it's clean, and it's tidy, and it makes a great sermon. But I prayed, and he didn't do anything. He just heard me. Now my spirit is out of control. Asaph says my spirit's overwhelmed. I'm out of control. This is a spiral. Asaph said that he remembered God and he was troubled. And every time I think about the problem or I ponder God, it's just a reminder that my storm hasn't calmed. It's a reminder that God hasn't responded and it leads to my spirit being totally overwhelmed. Have you ever been there? I sure have. My spirit gets out of whack probably more often than I care to admit. You know what kind of friend that I need when my spirit's out of control? I need someone who isn't. I don't know if I can be honest with you this morning, but I'm going to just do it. Nothing aggravates my troubled spirit like sharing with a person who isn't troubled and doesn't overreact along with me. Are you not listening to what I said? Why aren't you angry? I'm angry. You told your story and you delivered the payload and they just stared at you. 
Asaph said, I cried unto God with my voice. Even unto God with my voice. It makes me wonder if he said it twice because God didn't respond. You know, when I'm out of control and my, I'm spiraling, I want to talk to someone who's as unhinged as I am. I don't know if Asaph is describing this same scenario, but he took his troubles to the Lord and he found no comfort there. Isn't that contrary to all of our hymns? In fact, when he thought about God, his spirit became even more agitated to the point of being totally emotionally overwhelmed. Sounds like a good many people today. So many people are in a state of despair. In verse 4, he says, Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I'm so troubled I cannot speak. He's now at the point of insomnia, and he attributes his lack of sleep to God. Only he's now unable to even voice his concerns. Before, he had no trouble crying out about his woes. His voice is just gone now. I've been there a time or two. I roared about my frustrations for weeks to no avail, and now they've compounded to the point that I'm just numb. It's not that I'm trying to get people to ask me what's going on. I genuinely don't have the energy to even talk about it because I talked about it for weeks, and now I'm just done. Now I don't even have the emotional energy to speak. It's a storm, no doubt about it. This is the class that wasn't offered in Bible college, right? In fact, I'm learning there was a lot of classes not offered in Bible college. <laughs> we had an elective. I graduated in 2004. There was an elective called COVID-101, and I did not take it. There was not an elective called that, but I certainly did not take it. There's a lot of college classes that we were not offered. But you know, it's interesting, in Bible college, we had all the answers, even though we didn't know any of the questions. Now all we have is questions, and most of the time we don't even know what questions to ask. In verses 5 and 6, he says, I've considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. That's very important. You know, one time I used to have a song in the night. I used to have something that communed with my spirit. I used to have a thing that I relied on when I couldn't sleep, and I had a song, and it helped me. And I called to remember. What was my song? What was that? What was the song that I had that used, to, that used to minister to me? I used to have one. He said, I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Sometimes we tell people in our church, when you're going through a battle, be very careful to reevaluate things, and be very careful. Asaph's saying, man, I'm, I'm reevaluating all of it. I'm doing some serious soul searching. I had a song, now I'm trying to figure out what in the world's changed. That's a very relevant question. What changed? What's different? I used to have smooth seas and I had a song for that. Now I have rough seas and I, don't, I can't remember a single lyric to a single song. At this time, the psalmist thought back to when his spirit was lighthearted and his outlook was bright and he recollected the time when he still had a song. And he recalled the joy in his spirit he recalled those days when insomnia would be handled with singing and pondering the goodness of God. Back then he had a song. Back then he found encouragement in the rich doctrine of the hymns. Now you just gloss over the words and they don't do anything. Back then he had fresh victories and smoother seas. 
what changed? There's not always an answer here, like in the case of Job. Job's friends tried to help him figure out what changed. They weren't correct. They were miserable comforters. But for most of us, let's be honest, we're not Job. We could probably figure out what changed. We better put some searching into that. In many times, the storm, we don't know what's up and down and right and left. And some days we're struggling to discern fact from fiction. These are vulnerable times. So what do you do when you don't know what's real anymore? You better be careful because when you're, when you're in a storm, you can create an easy straw man that's not real. You can compile a whole bunch of evidence that's not evidence. Asaph asked himself six questions here. Some of these questions are hard to read out loud because they're just downright blasphemous. Will the Lord cast off forever? Has God rejected me? Will he be favorable no more? Is he never again going to be kind to me? Is his mercy clean gone forever? The mercy of the Lord that endures forever, is it just gone? Does that make sense? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Is he powerless now to keep his promises? Hath God forgotten? Is it just that he just forgot to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Is God so flippant that I made him mad and that's it? Now he slammed the door in his compassion? Is that what we think? We all know the answer to these questions is no, and many of these questions seem like pointless ones, but they really aren't. You better reestablish what you know in the storm. When your whole world is spinning and you've created a straw man, you better start asking yourself those questions. Okay, God didn't answer me when I asked him. I, I know he heard me, and he didn't answer me. And now I've created this whole scenario where God's not good and God's not kind, he's not favorable, and his mercy is clean, gone forever. Does that make sense? Is that correct? No, it can't be correct. This defies everything I know about God. This can't be correct. But in my storm, I have created this straw man, this fallacy that all of these things are possible scenarios about God. And you know why? It's because my spirit is just spiraling out of control because he didn't answer me when he heard me. And now I've just created a whole mess, haven't I? You know, we don't just do that to God, though. Sometimes we can get at our church members in the same way, especially when they disagree with us. After all, we're, we're the pastors. But if we're not careful, we can build some hasty straw men of the men and their assumed motives, because straw men are easier to build than to give the benefit of the doubt. I mean, would Brother Randy disagree with me on this? Why? Why would he do that? I bet, I bet he's never liked me. You know, now that I think about it, I mean, it was a closed vote. I don't know who, but I bet he was the dissenting vote. I actually don't know it was him, but it's starting to add up. Actually, you know, his family is always disgruntled, and his wife always has a negative spirit. I'm not even certain Randy's saved. 
I mean, is this reasonable? Is it reasonable that Randy isn't saved? Randy's the best soul owner in your church. Is his family really disgruntled? Do I think that because they took a family vacation and they missed two Sundays? So they're disgruntled and they're leaving? Don't we build some straw men really quickly? His wife has a giving heart. He loves the Lord, and none of these trumped-up accusations were accurate representations of what, what and who Randy really is. And there's a possibility that if Randy's wife actually has a bad spirit, it's because she constantly hears your straw man about Randy. Your spirit's out of control. When we get to accusing God, it's most certainly because we missed an overwhelming slew of evidence that proves how God is so good to us. When we disagree with God, we better recognize that God is always right. So we better engage in the necessary unpacking to arrive at the conclusion that the fault will always lie with us and never with God. If we can get to this place and repent, then our spiral of despair may just turn to the singing of delight. Asaph asked himself six very relevant questions, and he reestablished truth. And then right then in verse 10, he said, And I said, This is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. You know what he said? This is my infirmity. No doubt about it, I'm in a storm, and it's totally separate from who my Savior is. Amen. Yeah, I have a storm. We all have storms. It has nothing to do with my Savior. Nothing. They're totally irrelevant. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. Asaph made a very important distinction here. Once he reestablished truth in his life and got God back on his throne and gave God his sovereignty back and said, oh, all of the craziness that I just said because I was in totally, total emotional spiral, I got it all back on firm ground again. And I said, you know what I have here? I have a storm. I don't like it. It has nothing to do with God. Nothing. Nothing to do with God. I wanted my seas to be calm again. I poured out my heart to God about it, and God heard me. It's all true. None of that means that God isn't good. It just means that God didn't answer immediately when I wanted him to. I understand I have my storm over here, but over here I purposely will remember the years of the goodness of God. I will remember the strong right hand of God. I'll remember the victories of the past. And I mean, it's, it's, it's really pathetic that all of the wicked remember all of the victories that God has wrought for his children. And God's children don't remember any of them. The Israelites would go and walk through the land of the heathen and the heathen would say, their God is something to be feared. And the Israelites were like, he's okay. It's insanity. But Asaph wasn't just playing mind games here. This is not the power of positive thinking. That may get you through some trivial storm, but it won't get you through a real one. Asaph was worshiping God. Asaph used the name Elion, the Most High God, can mark it down that when our spirits get out of control in a storm, we stopped worshiping. God is robbed of our focus so often when it comes to self-preservation. 
We become the center of our own attention, and our problems are real, no question. But our problems are our problems. They're categorically separate from who God is. When we allow the storm to erode our view of who God is, we are in trouble. We have to get our song back. And that's exactly what Asaph did. He turned his attention from the reality of his storm to the redeemer of his song. Have you lost your song in the storm? Yeah, but my storm's not over. What, is, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, I still can't see in front of the boat. So what? Can you see your redeemer? I'm still going through the storm. Well, so did Asaph. And Asaph said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember. I used to be able to see in front of me, and now I have a storm. You know what's still in front of you? Christ. Just because you can't see him doesn't mean anything. I'm still going through the reality of my storm, but that's got nothing to do with the redeemer of my song. He's worthy to be praised in the storm and out of the storm. We say this stuff all the time when we preach, don't we? We tell everyone this is what they ought to do, don't we? We're like doctors. We are our own worst patients. I don't know how many times I'm preaching and I'm just getting eaten up with the sermon like, holy smokes, the Holy Spirit just killing me. I I don't believe any of this. I don't practice any of this. Every time my spirit gets out of whack, do I, do I automatically go back to all this stuff? Maybe I'm the only one here. We, we better understand we preach a lot of stuff that's true. We need to apply it. And look how Asaph's song began to flow when he turns attention back to the Savior. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of all thy doings. Remember when he couldn't talk? Now he just started focusing on the redeemer of his song, and all of a sudden it starts flowing again, doesn't it? Just got his eyes back on God. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that dost wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee. They were afraid. Well, how about that? How about that, the reminder that the storm is subject to the Savior? That's not what he thought just a little bit ago. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou leddest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He goes from challenging the sovereignty and the loving kindness of God to recognizing that God is the great shepherd. That's quite a... That's quite a switch, isn't it? If we're not careful, we get in that storm and we get ourselves so focused on the storm and everything gets out of control and, and, it's, and it's a real storm. But we can build that thing up in our own minds so badly. If we're not careful, we take a little tiny 
wind and turn it into a tempest. And a lot of it's our doing. Asaph asked himself the relevant questions. He reestablished what it was that he knew to be true about God. No, this is not correct. How in the world could I ever have said things like, did God forget to be gracious? We have, grace is probably one of the main topics in our hymnal. Amazing grace. Do, do we think God forgot to be gracious? It is the essence of God. How you can go so far that you can actually say, either out loud or in your head, God forgot to be gracious. That's quite a straw man, isn't it? We get ourselves to the place where we actually have to go back and say, what, what in the world, what am I thinking? Has, has God rejected me forever? Is he cast off forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? This can't be correct. It's not right. It's not real. If you can't get yourself to the place where you have the, the analytical uh, prowess to be able to say, no, these are not correct, then you better get someone in your life who, who will say that. You better find that person who's as unhinged as you are and stay away from them. They're the people that, to whom we gravitate when we're out of control. And just like that, Asaph reestablished who God was, and he said, you know what? What am I doing? This is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the Most High. There's, there's, no, there's no big secret here. This is, this is a really meager message. It's just about the fact that you can either look at your storm or you can focus on God. You can, you can switch all your attention to the storm, and then you can say things like, I cried out to God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he heard me. That should be positive, right? How in the world did a spirit get out of control because he cried unto God and God heard him? But he spiraled quickly. Quickly. We better be careful when we go to God and we say, God, I need this. And we think we've got some type of power with God like Elijah and we, we get upset because we just embarrassed ourselves because we told our whole church that God's going God's to finish the building program this year. And then we look like idiots. We'd be better off just saying, God, I have no idea what you're doing. Hopefully you do. If we're not careful, we, we, we come across, I, I think, I've heard people pray and I think, my soul, God must be not impressed with us. I don't know, my honest prayer is, God, I, you know I'm the biggest idiot in our church. I need help. But I don't just say that. I, I mean, I believe that. Like, what in the world? How, how in the world am I going to stand up in front of your people and try to t convince them of timeless truth? I don't know what's, what's going on the rest of the day. It doesn't surprise me at all that Solomon, just overwhelmed with the concept of having to lead the nation of Israel, asked God for wisdom. I know he made a slew of mistakes down the road. I get it. I think the most overwhelming, daunting task is somebody, somebody in my church coming to me and asking for life help. I have no answers for them. I, I give them what I believe God is telling me. I pray and I ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. I know there's textbook answers for this. I get it. But I'm just being, I'm just being raw here. And I say, God, I have no idea what to tell you. I need you to tell them something. 
if we're not careful, we start, we stay at this for, you know, a decade or a couple decades, and we start to think that we actually have our own wisdom. Like, because we've been at it, and we've been gleaning wisdom from the Bible, that we actually now possess wisdom. You don't have wisdom. This is wisdom. This is not wisdom. If you don't keep a steady supply, what you're going to start dispensing is darkened counsel, not wisdom. And the worst person you can dispense it to is yourself when you're in a storm. And then you start telling yourself all, all sorts of nonsense. Be very careful. You better get back and reestablish it. You better understand that we have families in our church that God put there and they desperately need a pastor. They don't need someone who constantly psychoanalyzes every motive of theirs. I mean, there are many times when pastors give their people far less grace than the people give the pastor. That ought not be the case. Well, they missed two weeks in a row. I got a guy who's been a lifelong Bengals fan. He went to every playoff game, and he got tickets to the Super Bowl. Somebody was just talking to me about it. Like, I don't know. He hasn't been here. Like, I'm trying to – Mike knows who it is. Like, I'm trying to extend grace. This does not happen every weekend. <laughs> this does not happen every year. This is probably not going to happen for another 31 years. <laughs> so – it's a little bit different than the every other weekend fishing trips or whatever type of thing, right? I'm trying to extend some grace. It's difficult because when I come in and I see a certain person missing, it just inflames me, right? right. Well, if you're not careful, you, I mean, you can have spent real quality time with the Lord. You have a message you're burdened about and you think it's going to help people. And the first thing you do is walk in and see who's not there. And instantly you're just in a crazy spiral and you're short, short with everybody and you're just, you're just angry. And then the worst thing that can happen is it's just you up there preaching. That's not what you want. Be careful with that. Reestablish these things. No, this man loves our family. This man loves our church. This man has every evidence that he loves the Lord and the Bengals. <laughs> and uh, all those things notwithstanding. But extend some grace there. We jump to some conclusions, we demand immediate answers, and we don't have them, and we just make up our own. That's dangerous stuff. You're better off if you'd say, like the psalmist, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain unto it. It's not for me to know that stuff. That's God's business. I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do, and the Holy Spirit will use the message, or he won't. Get out of the way. Asaph reestablished what he knew, and he came back to God. He said, this is my infirmity. Not this was my infirmity, right? Asaph's still in the storm. Asaph got his song back because he reestablished that God was in charge. He reestablished that God was good, God was faithful, God was merciful, God was gracious, God, God, was, God was loving and kind. And just like that, Everything changed. Just like that. He didn't get the answer he wanted. He didn't get the answer that he was asking for. He got the answer he needed. It was just like Paul when he said, my grace is sufficient. You're just going to have to accept it. What I've given you is what you need. 
So what do we do when the storms rage? It isn't easy, but it's simple. Keep sailing and keep singing. The master of the sea hasn't cast off forever. You may not sense his presence in the deep, but he's there. Just stay in the boat. Keep singing. The spiral of despair will quench your singing of delight, but he's worthy. Get your focus back. When you get your song back, you'll find that he was always there. Always. Let's pray. Father, we sure do love you. Thank you for your loving kindness toward us. Father, I pray that you're pleased with this message. I pray that your Holy Spirit would use it for us. We sure do love you, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Let's sing. I will